So welcome to the Soul Cafe, where life is served up freshly brewed. The table is huge. Pull up a chair. There's room for everyone at the Soul Cafe. This is episode nine of the Soul Cafe podcast with special guest today, Marissa Renee Lee. And we're going to be talking about her book, Grief is Love. But in the meantime, as we say every week, we need some awakenings in our life. We need a rude awakening. So Della May, wake us up. for that rude awakening yes so as i said today we have marissa renee lee author of a new book entitled grief is love living with loss marissa is a rabble rouser at social healing and a frequently called upon writer and grief advocate she is a former appointee in the obama white house former managing director of my brother's keeper alliance co-founder of the digital platform supportal and founder of the Pink Agenda, a national organization dedicated to raising money for breast cancer care, research, and awareness. She is a regular contributor to Glamour, Vogue, MSNBC, and CNN. She lives in the D.C. area with her husband, Matt, and son, Bennett, and dog, Sadie. Thanks so much, Marisha, for joining me today. Having me today, I really appreciate it. All right, so today we're going to focus mainly on Marissa's book that I believe is Total Dynamite. Yes, it was a, it was a <laughs> tough, tough book to get through uh, because we've all had grief because we all have loved. And so, uh, and I've messed up a time or two in talking about the book. I'll say that you know, there's this book that's called Love is Grief, and then I realize uh, that kind of proves the point of, uh, some of the point of her book, but... Uh, Marissa, I always like to ask the question uh, of an author, uh, why, why, why did you write this book? I mean, you know, the, the, the passion that propelled you and still propels you to talk to crazy podcast people like the Soul Cafe. So what, why? 
Great question. Uh, um, you know, in in retrospect, I feel a little bit like a crazy person for taking this on. Um, <laughs> but I I actually decided to write Grief is Love about six months after my mom died. So back in August of 2008. And at that point, I I was feeling angry and confused. I felt like I had been sold a lie about grief, you know, that it was this thing that's contained to the funeral and, you know, maybe a few weeks after. But beyond that, the expectation is moving on and getting over it and, you know, journeying through the stages of grief, whatever that's supposed to look like. And six months later, I was sitting in an equinox in Soho in New York City writing in my journal and I was pissed because I, I, I spent months thinking that because I wasn't over it, that there must be something wrong with me. And then right at that six month point, I said, you know what? I, I don't actually think there's anything wrong with me. I mm -hmm. think there's something wrong with the way that we think about and talk about grief. And so I decided that day and I wrote in my journal, I am going to write a book about grief that is not just going to be sad and depressing and that will become a New York Times bestseller. So that was my plan. Um, and simple, it simple. all, yeah, no big deal. Um, and it all started to come together and kind of um, came to fruition during the summer of 2020. Um, in late 2019, my husband and I lost a much wanted pregnancy and I, I found myself really lost. Like the grief was overwhelming and all I wanted at the time, you know, was my mom, this woman who'd been dead for over a decade. And I very quickly found myself forced to deal with my grief at home alone because we all found ourselves in the middle of a global pandemic. And so I, I wrote, you know, like I needed to write my way out of it. And I wrote every single day. And eventually one thing that I wrote ended up uh, being turned into an article for Glamour that went viral. That was all about not getting over it. And I, at that moment, started to redefine grief. And in my book, Grief is Love, I share that, you know, grief fundamentally is the repeated experience of learning how to live in the midst of a significant loss. It isn't something, as far as I can tell, that has any particular end date. The five stages is a dated and you know incorrect concept. There are no mm -hmm. timelines. There's no moving on. There's just learning what it means for you to live a full life after you've lost someone you love. Hmm. Yeah. So that that and that kind of takes me to the the next question too. Is uh, I, I've I've been a pastor in progressive churches for over forty years now, and I. Did I already say that I'm retiring next week? But anyway, that's beside the point. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, the, that loss is grief, and grief is love, and love is grief. Uh, I have been with so many people through the valley of the shadow of death uh, over the years, and, uh, and I've probably said some of the dumbest, dumbest things to people and trying to get them to move through grief more rapidly or, or, uh, and then, and then I, yeah, I love, that's why I love this part in the book, uh, uh, where it says, uh, what I've learned most is that instead of fighting against our feelings, we need to work on letting them take up space. 
I now allow myself to be overcome by all of my grief emotions. And there continue to be so many of them, it's really annoying. I have stopped trying to intellectualize them, and instead I just feel. And giving my feelings, my grief, the space it needs, I have come to the most obvious realization, you don't get over it. And I would even add that there's nothing a person who is grieving needs to hear more than this. Stop trying to get over it. Yeah. Uh, and if yeah. you're trying to help someone walking with them in their grief, don't tell them they will get over it one day. So help me out a little more here, Marissa. I mean, you you need to, and this is for everyone, not just not just you. Um, <laughs> people need to stop pushing this narrative around getting over it. Because here's the thing, fundamentally, like what does that mean? This isn't like a basketball game right. we're talking about that you just lost. Like you shared unconditional love with someone who's no longer here, someone who you defined as one of your people, you know, your, your sibling, your spouse, your parent, your child, your best friend. Like what would, tr like truly, what would getting over it look like? Does that mean you don't miss them anymore? Does that mean you never think about them? Like it, it just didn't make sense to me. And I decided that I wanted this book to not just be about my thoughts and my opinions and my story, but I wanted everything in grief is love to be grounded in the leading research around grief and bereavement. And so I partnered with a bereavement expert and professor at Harvard University who also has gone through the loss of a parent at a young age, you know, the infertility, pregnancy loss stuff that I experienced as well. Mm. And the, the research that sort of undercuts the entire book is called the continuing bonds theory, which basically states that the healthiest way for you to deal with your grief is to find a way to continue your relationship with a deceased in the present. It's not about moving on, getting over it, or forgetting that they ever existed. Like, that's literally not possible. Like, that relationship has left a permanent imprint on your brain, and you're not going to just get over it and be good. Mm. Instead, you're going to spend, as far as I can tell, 14 years out, the rest of your life recalibrating and making accommodations for that absence. And there are the accommodations and the recalibrations that happen on the big days, like, you know, when you get married or, you know, in my case, the day we adopted our son, where you know you're going to be thinking about your person because they would have loved to be there with you, you know, celebrating with you, supporting with you, et cetera. And then there are these sort of more subtle day-to-day -day recalibrations that you might make when, you know, when you're out in public and you meet someone for the first time and they ask about your children or, you know, if you have children mm. and you lost a child, like, you, you know, like there, there is a recalibration that has to happen there. Like there are all of these little adjustments that living with loss requires. And I think once we give ourselves permission to grieve, that then leads to permission to make the adjustments that we need to live a life that is full and you know, where we experience joy and happiness, even without our people. Yeah. Um, so in, in my opinion, uh, what really engaged me into this book was the, just the raw honesty. Some call that vulnerability. Uh, and, and I love the, what I would call the belly laughing humor 
um, the realness, you might say, like when Marissa is talking about life after Christmas, after the death of her mom, and she says, my mother was the queen of Christmas. No matter how sick she was, the whole spectacle was completely over the top. I struggled with Christmas after she died, but eventually, with the help of Matt, I found my way. Every year, we host an over-the-top holiday party called Tacos and Baby Jesus. We serve multiple kinds of tacos, do a homemade cookie swap, host a charity food drive, and give out prizes for the most outrageous costumes. You wouldn't believe what some folks will put put on just to win a semi-decent bottle of wine. Thanks to that story now, of course, uh, my wife, uh, who uh, is still grieving the loss of her mom, uh, but now, now, and her mom was over the top with Christmas, big time. Uh, and, and so now she is convinced that we need to do tacos and baby Jesus. Uh, but anyway, uh, humor has always been a part of the journey for me. And um, uh, any other funny stories that uh, you've come across, uh, you know, in this journey? I love the one about the pastor at your wedding. But anyway, uh, um, <laughs> the uh, uh, just the humor that comes with being in grief yeah no um it's it's real um and it's it's funny sometimes as uncomfortable as it is you know one of the one of the biggest laughs in the book that I talk about all the time is I I was able to talk to my mom before she died about you know what she wanted for funeral memorial service (laughs) burial like all of those end of life details like I was able to actually get them from her and there is a song that she wanted sung at her memorial service his eyes on the sparrow Mm -hmm. and you know classic gospel hymnal you know and um our church reached out to someone and you know I said oh she's excellent (laughs) she's gonna sing at the funeral I'm like okay great you know that was one less thing I had to worry about wonderful handled check the box and then (laughs) we're sitting there at the funeral and it's like me my cousin, my sister, my grandmother, my dad, like all sitting together, you know, in the front row because it's our mom. Um, And this woman starts to sing and it was atrocious. Like she was, we like to this day, none of us have ever heard anyone sing so poorly in our (laughs) lives. Like it was so bad that all we could do was laugh. Um, and it, to this day, it's the rudest thing I've ever done. You know, we're literally laughing at someone who's performing 15 feet in front of you, Right. but the performance was truly that terrible. And it didn't, you know, I talk a lot about joy in the context of grief. Like it's not something that you can fake. Um, it's not something that can be forced. It is something that can come up when you are being authentic about, the entirety of your grief experience. Mm. You know, I laughed that day at that lady singing, but fast forward 20 minutes when they were closing my mom's casket. And I realized that was the last time I would see her physical face. And I was, I lost it. You know, I was like having a breakdown on the way to the cemetery. So like you can do both if you give yourself permission but you're 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 given you've given yourself permission and and now in your book you're giving other people permission to to be real i mean to with that's going to come laughing at the sorry song one minute and uh crying your eyeballs out you know the next minute uh because that's uh that's that's because you have greatly loved and so you're exactly wow 
Um, so uh, as the book is beginning to wrap up, uh, Marissa talks about legacy, and that was probably, I think, uh, I'm going to admit that that's probably the chapter where I learned the most uh, about um, thinking about legacy. Uh, I, I love what you said in that chapter. You said, I often found myself confusing her legacy with the idea of honoring her, keeping her memory alive externally out in the world. Her legacy is how I choose to live as a result of life and death. Legacy is based on the fact that there was someone you loved dearly and who loved you back, and that love now lives on through you. So talk a little more about that process of legacy. Yeah, I think a lot of people obsess over the idea of legacy and get very caught up in these external markers of legacy, you know, starting a nonprofit, maybe having an award in someone's honor, planning the perfect memorial service, right. writing a book, etc. And I started thinking more about legacy, both in the context of, you know, what do I think it means to be my mother's legacy? And also, you know, remember, I was writing this book with the backdrop of the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. And seeing people, my family included, like forced to watch memorial services via Zoom and Facebook Live and seeing, you know, there was that one period of time uh, in California where folks were doing funerals in parking lots of hospitals. Like, mm-hmm. it was just so horrifying to me and felt deeply unfair. Uh, and so I wanted to creates space to rethink what legacy really is because as as meaningful as it was to me to get to throw the funeral that I knew that my mom wanted um, and to you know fulfill her last wishes I know that her legacy is like not contained to March 1st 2008 you know the day we did her funeral and so I started thinking about like what what does her legacy really mean to me and so much of it is internal and values oriented you know like it is it is really all about how you how you live your life and I don't mean you know some people will say like oh you should do this because that's what they would want you to do like that that's not really what I mean what I mean is you know being deeply intentional about your internal values and how they show up in the world Like, I think I am doing my best job living my mom's legacy when I'm kind and generous and do my part to help and take care of others the way she raised me to. Not with, you know, like she, I'm sure she's very proud of the book, but like, I don't think that's nearly as important as my day-to-day actions and things like integrity. Right, right. So uh, I, I, I'm not sure I saved it, but the the, the hardest reality uh, I think, you know, you, and you, you alluded to the pandemic. Um, you know, this whole of society's grieving right now. Uh, this uh, you know one million people in our own in our own country, but um, but then uh, and and I spent six years uh, working in, in Buffalo, um, and so the. 10 that were killed in Buffalo just recently oh. by a young man uh, who uh, there's no other way of saying it just a young man that was consumed with racism uh, pure yeah. hate that he has 
no doubt learned this hate from a lot of people. Uh, and uh, in the book, uh, you talk about how you have come to recognize that we struggle hardest when we don't feel protected. Uh, and, and this often makes grief tougher for people of color, uh, black people in particular, because the safety that vulnerability requires is so much harder to access. How can you grieve when you can't breathe? I'm exhausted uh, as a white person uh, that cares and that's been involved in activism and activism and activism for years. But, but what are you feeling right now? I mean, with the, with the, the weight of COVID uh, and, the, and, and the weight of racism and, uh, and, and, and the weight of a book called Grief is Love. Um, I am, I am tired. Um, honestly, you know, it is a lot both personally and professionally because, you know, for me, I am out in the world talking about grief all day, every day right now, since the book just came out. Um, and then, you know, I have my own private grief moments. Like a couple weeks ago was mother's day Mm. and this was my first mother's day as a mom but I also don't have my mom and I'm like talking about her all the time. So like, I I definitely struggled with that and, and, you know, figuring out how to navigate that. And then when things like Buffalo happen, I, I realized a couple of years ago when I was putting the book together um, around the time of George Floyd's murder, that racism is another form of grief. Mm. You know, the, the pain of grief that we experience is the pain of unrequited, unconditional love. You know, like we know what it felt like to be in a loving relationship with someone. We may still be able to feel their love and like sense their presence, but they are no longer here to act on that love and that causes pain. And fundamentally, I realized, you know, I'm an American. I am, I am proud to be an American. I love my country. I have always tried to act in a way that helps and lifts up and supports others in this country. You know, like I've, I spent seven years working for a former president. Like I believe in America, but when America continues to treat black people like they don't matter and continues to have rhetoric around things like replacement theory. Mm. um, And when we allow violence to just run rampant because we refuse to do anything about guns in this country, like, you know, the rallying cry Black Lives Matter is based on love or really the lack of love. You know, feeling like I have to argue that I deserve to be treated a certain way, which is just fairly, you know, not not anything special. Um, right, right. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's frustrating. It's exhausting. I realized with Buffalo that it is harder now than it was for me a year ago because now I am also responsible for a black boy in America, which like has this whole other weight attached to it. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of grief in it. Um, and I am, I am committed to doing what I need to do to take care of myself and my family. And I'm also committed, you know, in these moments to experiencing joy, you know, even if it's brief or momentary, like I'm not, I'm not going to let this hate make me a different person. Well, and, and that's, I think, in part because of your grief, too. Uh, you know, that, that the grief that comes from that deep, deep love and that love, gosh, it becomes, 
revolutionary as uh, Valerie Kerr and others say. I mean, it's uh, uh, grief is love. Love is grief. Wow. So I guess part, uh, I'm thinking that probably your, your sequel to this book, Grief is Love, is uh, going to be Grief is Love Taken to the Streets, you know, but, uh, yeah. and, 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 and how we can channel some of this uh, that we need to somehow pull together for our society's sake. Um, um, so folks, all I can say is you need to get this book. Grief is Love, as Willie Geist, uh, host of Sunday Today with Willie Geist, the New York Times bestselling author, says about the book, authentic, all-inclusive, and utterly breathtaking. This is the book that will help you deal with your darkest days and walks with you as you venture back into the light. And it has helped my wife and I. Uh, we could, I mean, we have uh, been acquainted with grief just like everybody has, whether it's been through COVID, uh, it's been... Um, uh, through the racism that affects me in uh, different ways uh, than it does a person of color. Uh, but I do, do deeply feel the grief uh, for, our, for our world and for, uh, and for our future. Uh, and so I, I hope and pray that uh, uh, we can work our way through this grief uh, out of a deep love. Um, uh, we won't we won't ever make it to the other side quite uh, to that uh, paradise, but uh, uh, we've got to at least strive to get there. And so, Marissa, thanks so much for taking me on this journey today uh, with grief is love and your 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 great book and uh, just this lovely conversation with you as a person. Um, thank you so much for being with me today and. Uh, as I said uh, to you before, I'll be sending you that link of the Soul Cafe podcast uh, soon, and I hope you'll share it. Uh, it's out there uh, uh, on uh, Spotify and uh, Apple Podcast, and so I hope that uh, uh, you will pass that along. But th once again, just thanks so much for being with me today. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Frank. Take care. Bye-bye. Wow. Uh, I say that uh, after every interview, pretty much, uh, because I'm a blessed person to be talking to some really cool people uh, that are helping us through uh, music, helping us through uh, books and articles uh, to, to work our way uh, to a better place. Um, and we will always be grieving uh, because uh, if that is that we're really, truly loving, we will be grieving. And so, uh, this is the end of season one of the Soul Cafe podcast. Season two will begin in September. And uh, so, as kind of I wrap up the episode for today, uh, of course, as always, uh, I'll be wrapping it up with another song from Della May, uh, For the Sake of My Heart. But... What came to my mind as I reflect on this first season is, uh, and, and reflect on life and just in general right now, uh, comes from uh, Dog Hammersold, uh, who once said, For all that has been, thanks. And for all that shall be, yes. So whatever you do, folks, get outside in the days ahead 
get outside for the sake of your soul, for the sake of life. Get outside for the sake of your heart. For the sake of my heart, I am going to wander the mountains where I was born. For the sake of finding my way again, I must be in this place alone. Where there's healing in the sun when she rises, and forgiveness when she settles back down in the hills. There's strength in the love of living, and in knowing how to be still. Have you ever stood? They change from blue to gray to gold Watching the painter's perfection Oh, what a sight to behold Can I show you a place in the quiet Where you can hear the wind humming through the trees the rustle of wheat that is dying And the gravel beneath your feet So thank you so much for joining the Soul Cafe podcast. The Soul Cafe, where life is served up freshly brewed. See you next season.